Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Well, good morning, guys. Happy 4th of July. When Andrew told me that I was going to be preaching on 4th of July, I thought it was a coincidence because normally Andrew preaches pretty long. So I was like, of course he's going to throw me on the holiday because people want to get out of here as fast as possible. So I promise I'm not going to keep you guys really long. Um, But as we've been talking about our James series, we're going to be finishing out the book of James today. And what we've been talking about is this season that the early Christians were doing where they were under pressure, that they were experiencing this pressure after the first martyr of Stephen, and they were sent out into all these nations and scattered. And James writes this book to encourage the new believers in their journey and walk with Jesus. Now, when I think of my own life in seasons of under pressure, one topic that comes to mind is college admissions season. If you've lived through it, you probably know the stress of it, or you probably know someone that's lived through it. And the reason college admission season is so stressful because there's this pressure to get into your top schools. There's this pressure to perform and do the best. Now, when you look at college admissions in the way that they actually grade it now, it's the most activities that you are in that will get you into Ivy League schools. They no longer base it on your GPA or SAT scores. They base it whoever has the longest list of activities will most likely get into the schools of their dream which is ridiculous when we think of it, that we're running kids into the ground saying, get involved in every sport possibility. Why don't you just volunteer with every organization? It doesn't matter how well you're doing everything. It just matters how much you're involved in. So if you guys watch Netflix, which I feel like a lot of us have now with the COVID and being locked inside, but something famous that's come through this is the college admission scandal movie. Um, And this documentary shows many famous people that have lived through this college admissions scandal. Basically, through the scandal, what they did is they were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to guarantee that their kids would get into top schools that they wanted. Some of these weren't even Ivy League schools. They were just universities. And these parents were so desperate to guarantee their kids' acceptance into the school that they would pay $500,000 so that their kid didn't have to live through that season of uncertainty in college admissions season. Now the crazy thing about this is behind the whole scheme was that the kids didn't know. The kids were still doing all their activities, trying their hardest in school so that they would think that they were getting into their dream schools, but their parents were so worried about the security of their kids and the question of living in that unknown season. For those of you that have gone to high school and to college or lived in that transition, that's one of the most stressful times in a young adult's life to be, I don't know who I am. I was a high school person. I'm not in college yet. Where do I fit into the world? And where do I what do I do with my life? We expect 18-year-olds to decide what they're going to do with the rest of their life and jump into that. So what happened was these parents were found out. Some paid $500,000 for their kids to get a perfect SAT score. Their kids still took the SAT score and thought that they did awesome on it. Others paid for their kids to get weird college acceptances to sports teams that they never played. And parents just told them, hey, show up to your first practice. You're on the rowing team. And these kids had never played sports. So it was this crazy scandal, and these parents were brought to court and had to plead guilty. When they got there, 
many of the parents started to break down as they had to tell the judge why they were guilty and they did it. And what came to the bottom of it is these parents were so desperate that their child would feel security and not have to live in the unknown season that they would do anything which is crazy and mind-blowing. And if you guys are into crime documentaries, I try to watch them. I'm like a baby when it comes to crime documentaries. I can't get through them. They freak me out so bad. But when you watch it and they go to court, normally at the end what happens is they sit behind the judge and they just say, I don't know why I did it. Some of them are just normal people, but they were so desperate when things were changing in their life that they had some sense of security. When things fell out of their control, they had to do anything to once again ensure that security. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. When our circumstances change and we lose security, we become so desperate to once again ensure it that we will do anything in our circumstances to do it. Some of that happens with families. If you guys have ever experienced someone that you love being sick, the moment that they get sick, we will spend as much money on medicine to help them as possible. We'll take them to every doctor to figure out what's wrong with them. Some of that happens with our kids. We're so desperate for them to just succeed in life that we'll throw them in anything that they want and give them anything so that they experience that. And some of us even see that in our careers. We're so desperate to climb to the top that sometimes we're able to risk our integrity or we're going to risk anything else so that we can just get to the top as fast as possible. Because when we feel our security is threatened, we're willing to do anything to once again ensure that. So today we're going to be jumping into James's last message in charge to the early Christians in his letter. And we're going to see what he tells these people as they live in this season of under pressure and feeling this. Their security was threatened as they went to these lands far off from their nations to see and hide from the martyrdom that was being experienced in Jerusalem. So we're going to jump in and see what James says to them as their last message under pressure. So we're going to be reading from James 5, 13 through 20. If you guys have your Bibles, you can pull them up or your phones. I'm going to read it and we'll also see it on the screens. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with the oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Let's pray before we jump into this passage. Jesus, I thank you for this space, Lord. I thank you that um, we have the opportunity. We live in a country where we experience independence and we can just come before you and worship you freely, that we can come before you and experience your word. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place, Lord. We ask that you would speak to the hearts of people and just make yourself known, Lord. Our desire is to experience you in a way like never before. So we ask that you would just come and do what only you can do. Amen. 
Awesome. So as I said before, with the story of what's happening in James, just a little context to the passage, the early Christians had just seen Stephen martyred. He was the first Christian that was martyred. And after he martyred, he was sent off and all these different people scattered among the nations because they felt as though their life was at threat. They felt it's better to be a Christian in a land that people don't know me than stay in Jerusalem with Christians because my life is threatened. For a lot of people, that meant they lived in lands where no one knew Jesus. No one had heard the gospel yet, but they were willing to go there because they felt like their families were threatened. Now, as we read the book of James, one of the things that I think is really important is, first of all, to say, hey, why does James have a right to talk about prayer and being under pressure? James was known throughout scripture as being old camel knees. People said that he prayed so much that his knees had creased over and that he spent most of his life on his knees praying to Jesus. And as we continue to see, we see that James is the brother of Jesus. So not only did he live a life of prayer, but there was a moment that James had to come to this crisis in his life and say, I knew you as my brother, yet everything he knew was questioned at that moment. He had to once again wonder, who is this Messiah? Because this son that I grew up, this little boy that I grew up with, now is the Messiah of the world that I'm supposed to believe in. Which if you talk about security question, I can't imagine my little brother Luke one day rising up and being like, I'm the Messiah, which wouldn't happen because he's not. But like someone, the identity of someone that you know completely drastically changes what it throws you into in the circle. And I think for many of us, we can relate to this season. And I can't imagine being one of the early Christians waiting and waiting on this letter from James to arrive. And it finally arrives and you're like, okay, what's his final charge to me? And the final thing he says is, hey, why don't you just pray about it? Now, I think sometimes that's the most hurtful phrase that has been said to us in the church and a reason a lot of us have run away from the church because in our pain, in our suffering, we're told to just pray about it. And that is so discouraging to us. Like, don't you think I've tried praying about it? I'm a Christian. I know what prayer looks like. Why are you just telling me to pray about it and trying, instead of trying to help me? And I know for me in my own life, that's been a hard thing of, hey, am I just supposed to continue to pray about it until something gets fixed? Like, what is this doing if it's not working? Why do I keep trying it? And I think a reason many of us feel this is because prayer to us is like a gamble. Like, I could take this matter into my own hands and run around and do anything possible to fix it. Or I could take a gamble on God and see if he's going to answer my prayer. I've tried this before. It hasn't worked. He hasn't answered. Someone I love is still dying, but I'm just going to take a gamble on God this time and see if he answers it. And I believe that's a lot of the ways that we see prayer in our life, that it's a gamble that we're going to try once again and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you know what? God might not be a good God. And if it doesn't work, I don't think I can try this again because I'm just so hurt by the idea of prayer. So while looking at this passage of James 5, one of the things that I was wondering is the statistics on prayer and what people do with prayer. Now, one of the things that came up is over 70% of Christians do not have a prayer life. And as we read this, we see that James calls us to prayer, a life of prayer. So if being a Christian is a life of prayer, and over 70% of Christians aren't living a life of prayer, this is a huge issue that we need to talk about. So the top three reasons when this survey was sent out of why people don't pray is number one, we don't think we have the time. There's so much busyness in our life, how could we ever stop to just sit in the presence of God? 
we get so stuck in the busyness and just doing and doing, right? We're called to serve by God. It's not always bad things that keep us busy, but we get so stuck in the busyness that we don't have time anymore. The second reason a lot of people say they don't pray is because they don't think it's important, right? Like, oh, I'm called to pray. I'll shoot a prayer up in the morning. I'll shoot a prayer up at night. If something's going wrong, you know, I'll talk to God again because that's how it works. But it's not that big of an importance that I'm going to stop my life and do it. And the third reason, which I think is a reason that a lot of us secretly believe down, is we don't believe that it actually makes any difference in our life. That we've tried prayer at some point and we haven't gotten the results that we wanted. We've tried living a life of prayer, but disaster still strikes. Things still fall, and it's not what we want our prayer life to live. I think a lot of us wonder, like, God, if I'm spending so much time in your word and prayer, why are my circumstances still the way that they are? And how do I still believe that you're a good God if I live a prayerful life, but nothing changes? See, but as we see this, as I said before, when our security feels threatened, when we feel like things are falling apart, it's not our instinct to run to prayer because we oftentimes will do whatever to try and take control of our circumstances. We see God, as I said before, as this gambling God. We could try to take a chance on him, but isn't it just easier if I do everything in my power to fix my circumstances? I could trust him with my finances, but I could just do everything in my power to make it better. Or I could trust him with a loved one, but I might as well just take them to every single doctor and not pray until they're on their deathbed. And this is something that James is addressing in this passage. And the thing that he's telling people is, hey, live a life of prayer. I'm call- Jesus calls us to a life of prayer. And the thing that James reveals as we read it is he says that prayer positions us to rely on the power of Jesus, who desires to be intimately involved in our lives. As we read scripture, it tells us that prayer is the only thing that Christ calls us to do without ceasing. There's nothing else in our Christian walk that he tells us to do without ceasing and to stop doing. And when we see that passage and we see what James is saying as his final charge to believers, it has nothing to do with just sitting in a quiet space and talking to Jesus in that one moment. But rather he's addressing a lifestyle of prayer and a life of surrendering to Christ your security and handing it over, trusting that when you do is the moment that he begins to work. See, so many times we get stuck in the words of prayer that we lose the person behind the prayer that we're praying to. And when we get stuck in the prayer and we lose the person is the moment that we forget why we pray and we need to pray. And as we see that prayer positions us to rely on the power of Jesus, the things that we see is that it is possible to live a secure life and not have to worry because of Jesus. Because a secure life is in, found in Jesus. See, if Jesus holds the whole world as we talk about all the time and we see that Jesus is in control of every situation, prayer is a position that we are surrendering our lives to Christ and handing it over to him and trusting that when we pray, we are inviting the Holy Spirit into our moment and asking that what he desires would be done. A lot of times that gambling of prayer is stops when we start to live a life of prayer because we realize it's not about him answering this in the moment, but it's the desire of him to come and make his way in our prayers. So what James continues to say through this passage is that it is possible to live a secure life where you don't have to worry in Jesus because prayer is our pathway to security. It's the way that we once again see that everything's going to be all right. Not even that it's all right, but that Jesus is in control and we can surrender our fears and worries to him. As we read the book of James, I think there's three main things that he's trying to communicate about prayer, which we're going to dive in today. 
Um, these for three things are, I feel like, tips that he's almost giving the early believers in us today of how do you live a life of prayer and how do you change your mindset of prayer. So the first one that we're going to talk about is prayer is for every season of life. So as we see it in the first couple of verses, which the first one's up there, he says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So when we see this, one of the first things that we notice is that James is calling us to a lifestyle of prayer. That in our suffering, we're supposed to run to God and pray. In our rejoicing, we're supposed to run to God and pray. In our hardships, when things aren't going right, that we're supposed to run to God and pray. And I love how he follows it by talking about this waiting on the Lord. A lot of times the reasons we don't run to prayer, we don't like prayer, is because we feel like there's so much waiting. That we just wait and things don't happen. Do I do things while I'm praying? Or am I supposed to just sit here because if I do things, is it ungodly? And there's all these questions around prayer. But I think in this he's not saying stop everything and just sit and don't do anything. Right? Doctors are biblical. God calls us to seek guidance and wisdom. But he's saying that... When you wait on me and you trust me with your circumstances, you're allowing me space in your life to move. And as we talked about, that prayer is this position that allows us to declare that Jesus is God, he is king of my life, and I'm inviting him to be intimately involved in every aspect of my life. I'm surrendering to him my hardships, I'm surrendering to him my happiness, and I'm surrendering to him my sickness because I know that everything good comes from the Lord, and the way to seek that is to live a life of prayer. So when we read this, the thing that I always wonder is, okay, God, if I'm called to live a prayerful life in every season of life, what season of my life do I not trust you with right now? And I challenge you guys to think about that too. Is there some aspect in your life that you're afraid for God to be welcome in that season of life for you? Whether that's a job, as I talked about before, or someone that's sick, what are you so afraid to surrender over to Christ? Whether that's that you're afraid that he won't show up, you're afraid that he's going to disappoint you, or you're afraid that nothing's going to happen again and you're just going to continue to get angrier at God. If we're called to a season of prayer in every season of life, I challenge you guys to see what aspect in my life am I not willing to surrender over to Christ right now. And one of the famous quotes that I love about prayer is from Martin Luther. And he says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Breathing. Being, same thing, different. Okay, as we read this, one of the things that I realize is, so if prayer is a lifestyle, and we're supposed to do it without ceasing, then if we're calling ourselves believers of Christ, and we're not living a life of prayer, it's equivalent to being alive but not breathing on your own, or not having the ability to breathe. If it's a lifestyle that we're called to, and it's something that we're supposed to do in every moment, then it's what gives us our life and our source of life. When we turn our eyes to the source of life and say that I'm surrendering everything to you is the moment that we invite the Holy Spirit into our moments. A lot of times I feel like we walk with prayer with a really tight grip. Like I'm going to give this to you, but I'm going to hold the end of the rope. And it's kind of like playing tug of war with Christ. And it's like, okay, you got it. Now I got it. Okay, you got it. You're not answering. I'll take it back. Um, so I just love this quote by Martin Luther because it challenges us to see that you can't be a believer of Christ and actively seeking a relationship 
relationship with him without living a life of prayer and willing to surrender everything to him. Now, I know that this is easier said than done, and this topic of prayer for every season of life is something that I have found super hard in my walk with Christ. Um, For those that know me, I've had chronic pain for a long time in my life, and I have a family that's lived through a lot of different hardships. And for me, it's always been super discouraging to go to prayer services or healing services and stand there and be like, this is the moment. And there's all these videos that you can watch online of like prayer being successful. For me, I have scoliosis. I always watch prayer videos where it's like, okay, the pastor calls you to roll on the ground and once you stand up, you're gonna be healed. So it's like, okay, maybe if it works for them, I can try that and it's gonna work. Or it's like, hey, Jesus spit in the mud, put it on the blind person's eyes and it's gonna work. Like how come it's so discouraging for us to say, prayers for every season of life, but he hasn't moved in this area, so I can't give it to him. And I think when we see that, we equivalent evil with Christ and that he's almost cursing us, that he's not healing us. But that's not what we read in scripture, and we know that's not true of Christ. That Christ is a good God, and that evil is not equivalent to what Christ does. Evil is not from him. Rather, he is the one that we experience our life from and life to the fullest. So when even those areas in our life we feel that Christ hasn't moved or his challenges for us, when we surrender them to him is the moment that we're saying, God, I just want your will in my life and I'm so sick and tired of living in this confusion of who you are. I'm so sick and tired of wondering if you're a good God because you haven't answered because prayer allows us to first of all recognize that we need Jesus and also realize that God, I just want your will in my life. And if that means a physical healing, great. But we also have to realize that Christ desires and goes after our heart more than anything. And he wants us to be spiritually healed more than he wants us to be physically healed. Because it's the position of our soul that determines where we are in eternity. So God is a good God even in our circumstances don't like it. And just because it doesn't feel like he showed up in our prayer, it doesn't mean that he's not going to. So the next thing that we read about prayer in the second point is as Christians, it's our responsibility to pray. And we see that in the next couple verses as up there. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So I think when we see this as our responsibility to pray, it's one of those things like in Bible school or when you go to VBS, the little two answers are, what should you do in your prayer? A Christian, I should pray and I should read my Bible. And it's something so ingrained in our minds that we're supposed to know. Okay, so I got to pray, I got to read my Bible, and then I'm a good Christian. Did I pray today? Did I read my Bible? Uh, no, I'm kind of dancing on the line of being a good Christian. And I think that's something that we wrestle with. But when we see this, we realize that not only is prayer given to us by Christ so that we can live in relationship to us, but it's the way that we were designed to be in a relationship with Jesus. When we look back at Genesis and the way that we were created, God didn't create himself so that he lived up high in the skies in our minds and that we were down on earth just walking alone and we would shoot prayers up every time we needed him. Rather, we were created to walk in the garden with Christ, to be in union with Christ every aspect of our life, every moment, and to have that constant communication. So when we realize that as Christians, it's our responsibility to pray, we are once again living in that union of what we were created to do in Genesis 1 and 2, of walking in the garden with Christ and living a life that we take ownership of our responsibility to pray so that we can constantly be in communion with him. And there's different reasons of why we stay away from prayer. 
One of the things as we think about Independence Day today, we think about our independence and how we take so much pride in that. Something we talked about before the service. It's so much pride that we're able to live on our own and do as we please. And I think a lot of times we don't run to prayer because we feel like we have to surrender our freedom. Like when you're a Christian, it's like giving up your freedom and you just have to do whatever God does. I think it's so funny, like going to a Christian college, a lot of things that you hear is like, okay, I'm going to party it out now in college. And then after I have my Bible degree, I'm going to get serious with my relationship with Christ. Okay, let me have my couple years because he's always going to be there. So if I have my fun now, right, I can get back to him. But as we see this, we realize that true freedom is found in Jesus. And when we live a life of seeking after him and praying, it's actually not a slavery as as many of us see. We're not a slave to Christ. When we almost embark in that, we are becoming freedom, actually. So when we feel like we're becoming secure and we have to rely on Christ is where true freedom comes. To us, many of us being dependent on someone is something that's super scary. Being dependent on them for life, for food, for money wants us to run away from people. A lot of things you hear nowadays is, I'm so scared of commitment. Because when you have to rely on someone, you depend on them for your life. You depend on them for every aspect of your life. But as we see this, we realize that there's Jesus and depending on him is the best possible aspect of our life. And I challenge you guys to see what is stopping you from seeing it as your responsibility to pray as Christians. Is it that you're shameful because you haven't prayed to him in a while? Or do you feel this guilt because of it? I know for me there's been times where it's like, okay, I'm so scared to pray in public for people that don't know Jesus because what if he doesn't show up? What if I pray for healing over a person that doesn't know Jesus and he doesn't show up and that causes them to get angrier at God? I think when we do that, we put stumbling blocks on God and we say that he can't do different things and he can't move. And who is it our right to say what God can and can't do? Right? We're supposed to live a life of surrender to him, trusting that what he desires will be done. So two years ago, two summers ago, I was able to go to a country that our church partners with called Tea House. Um, and in this country, I was able to talk to one of the local believers. And I'm just going to call her B because we're recording and we want to keep everybody safe in that country. Um, and through my conversation with her, the way that I saw my prayer life was drastically changed. So I was teaching English class for B. Um, we were teaching it so that they were able to translate words from English into their language so that they could share it with their local friends. And then while we were there, she just shared her testimony with me. And the thing that she told me about is her story of coming to Jesus. And through this, the way that she described it is that she had found a local believer and a local missionary that had shared the gospel with her. And she accepted a life of Jesus, but she came from a family that persecuted and killed Christians. And she knew that accepting Jesus, when she accepted Jesus, it drastically changed her life. She said, I have 21 years to make up of not having a prayer life with Jesus, and it needs to start now. Um, and as I sat there and talked to her, she just described some of the hardships she went through. She would be praying in her room, and her parents would come and light up every, every belonging that she had before her eyes. And as she was praying, someone took a rope and put ignition over her and lit her on fire and tried to burn her down. They would shave her head and do everything in their power to stop her prayers because they knew that there was something powerful happening in their house the moment she prayed. And as I hear like her story and I think about it, I was like, wow, how brave is it we see that she's able to pray while being lit on fire and that her hair is being pulled outside of her. 
And I asked her, like, why do you still believe in this? Why do you still pray? You have no reason to. God hasn't stopped them from burning you. God hasn't stopped them from breaking your bones and kicking you out and starving you for two days. And she said, because the source of my life comes from Jesus. Because everything that I have and everything that I need is found in him. And the moment I stop praying is the moment that the enemy comes in and takes over my mind and tries to convince me to give up on it. And when she said that, that just wrecked my heart. And it made me think about, wow, it truly is our responsibility to pray as Christians. Like, she realized that in her persecution and in her hardship, when she was praying was the moment that she felt closest to Jesus. And she realized that it's worth it. It's worth it to be locked up and lit on fire because the moment that I pray is the moment I find my freedom. And I challenge you guys to even see this. That B, being able to be locked up and still experience the presence of God. Now, God never saved her. She still to this day experiences awful hardships and is abused by her family and her community. She's been shunned. And being a 21-year-old in the Middle East, one of the scariest things is to never find a spouse because there's not other believers in the nation. And her family's tried to send her off and people have tried to kill her because of her Christianity. If we see her story and we're challenged to think about how do I take on that responsibility in my freedom and find Jesus and live a life of prayer. So the last point that we're going to talk about is the idea that there is power in our prayer. And this is where James kind of lands the ship as he talks about it. So we're just going to read verses 17 through 18 again. He says, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. See, as we see this, I think it's so easy to look in scripture and hear these wonderful stories of prayer or hear stories of miracles of prayer happening in our life and be like, okay, the power is somewhere, but I can't find the power for myself. See, that's what James is addressing. He's not saying that there's situations and there's people that have power in prayer. Rather, he's saying that there's power that lies in prayer. So when you pray, you are unlocking that same power that existed when Elijah was walking in the Old Testament. You're unlocking that same power that people today that pray for miracles and see them are unlocking. And when we see prayer, the reason I feel like we get so tripped on it is because we see it as a powerful weapon. We're taught, right, like carry your sword. Power is your sword and you're going to strike down the enemy with it. But when we see powerful weapons equated to prayer is the moment that we lose the relationship behind prayer. Prayer is not only about the power and what we can do, but prayer is about Jesus and the person behind the prayer. And when we focus so much on the power and the weapon of prayer, we forget the intimate relationship that Jesus is seeking after us so that we live a life of prayer in dependency on him. See, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is what drastically changes our lives. It's not the words that we say. It's not how much time we spend in prayer that equivalents to how many miracles we see. But it's when we see that Jesus desires to be intimately involved in our lives. And when we pray, we're handing over that security and surrendering to him is the moment that we begin to see it. When we pray, we're allowing heaven to come down to earth as we talk about on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting heaven to once again enter our situations so that we can see Jesus move. And I think it's so crazy when we see this to realize that in scripture they talk about just the mention of the name of Jesus raises the dead. 
And as Christians, we're given prayer so that we can have that same power. Just the mention of the name of Jesus when we pray. We don't even have to say words, just inviting Jesus. Jesus to come into our situations is when we see things in our life drastically change. And when we position ourselves in a posture of prayer, of surrendering to Christ, is the moment that we begin to see the power of Jesus come. That it's too good to sit in the presence of Jesus in prayer than to run to other things to seek prayer. And one of the beautiful things is that Jesus does desire this relationship with us. And I think of, right, Jesus is our, God is our heavenly father that we have. Now, I'm a little biased. I think I'm a favorite child. Don't tell Luke. But as a child, when you have your dad, one of the things you never know is when you cry daddy, the moment that you say dad that he's going to come and rescue you because he cares and loves you that much. And when we read in scripture about Jesus, we see that Jesus loves us so much that it's his desire to come into our life and save us. That he's not just sitting there and waiting for us to fail and come. And it's not that we have to wait and like, I'm so scared I haven't prayed in years. Like, what if I come to him now? Is he going to reject him, me? We have to just remember that Jesus is our loving Abba that is sitting and waiting for us just to come and say, I need you. I need your help. Just like I know that Anytime I need my dad, even if I haven't talked to him in days, the next thing I say is I need help. That he's going to show up because he loves me and he cares that much about me. That no matter what, he just wants to know that I'm held by him and I'm loved by him. And I love, like, even seeing Harper worship, how much he just looks up to Andrew and knows, like, I'm safe here and I can be me freely. I don't have to come with guilt and shame because this is a safe place to be. And that's what we have to realize about the presence of prayer is that we're once again going into that relationship with Jesus and declaring that you are my Abba, that you are my good father, and that there's no shame in coming before you because all that you want me to do is sit in your presence. That there's not a single thing we could do that could either gain the love of Christ or take away the love of Christ from us. So when we live a life of prayer and we sit before him is the moment that we realize that true freedom is found in the presence of prayer, in the presence of Jesus. When we sit and we pray is the moment that the power is struck. Now the prayer, the power, as I said before, has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with Jesus. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the news that has broken out these past couple days, but there are stories of people in these Middle Eastern countries in Central Asia and the top two and three countries where it's most dangerous to be a Christian, that doors are opening for them to run to other nations, that doors are open, where people can get there more easily. Now I hear that and I think, wow, like Jesus desires us so much that he's hearing our prayers and doing everything to have people to have an opportunity to experience the love of him more. And that's something that's been on my heart to pray for is just Jesus make way. Jesus allow opportunities for people to hear your gospel. And just for me seeing that on the news yesterday and today just like broke my heart and just made me realize the power of God, that he desires us so much that we merely say the name of Jesus and things change. So as we continue in the passage, the last couple of verses, when we read them, they kind of seem out of context and don't make sense. Um, he talks about people that are wandering away from the faith, mentions nothing about prayer and says like, okay, a righteous person can bring a person to faith and introduce them to Jesus. So I'm just going to read it one more time and then we're going to talk about it. 
He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, I think this is kind of like, okay, this is how you're going to leave me in the passage. Like, you just talked about all this prayer, and now you're going to say, people wandering can come back. What does that have to do with this passage whatsoever? Um, and instantly I thought about the story of Nick Ribkin. If you guys have heard about Nick Ribkin, he's one of the most famous evangelists to exist right now and walk the earth. And what he did is he wrote this book called The Insanity of Obedience. And this book talks about how far does your yes to Jesus go? How willing are you to go and experience the love of Christ through a prayerful life, surrendering your freedom and surrendering your desire for security? And in this book, one of the things that he talks about is um, performing a burial in Somalia, which used to be the most dangerous place to live as a Christian. He traveled three hours to perform this miracle and then came back. And at his house, they were rejoicing and praying to Christ, thanking him that they took this brother from persecution and brought him to heaven. And Nick's neighbor at the time was a part of a terrorist group, the Taliban. And Nick shares in this book that though I was able to go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel, I was not willing to do it with my neighbor because I was so scared what my neighbor would think about me and how that would affect my life. And in this, Nick is praising God and singing, thank you, Jesus, for taking this person from the pain that they're living in. They no longer are beat. The Taliban member rips through his door holding a gun and starts screaming at Nick. And everyone in the room freezes and says, this is it. This is the moment that we're going to die. And the thing that the guy screams at him is, how could you know the goodness of prayer and the goodness of the love of God that there's something better in life and not share it with me? This guy saw them rejoicing in the death of someone that was just died and killed for the sake of Jesus. And he said, how could you know the goodness of this and not want me to live that same life, knowing that I'm living a life wondering if I'll ever be good enough to be accepted by God? And when I hear that and I think of prayer, I just realize that, man, God wants you so bad that he just wants a relationship with you for you to pray with him and live in that relationship more than anything. That Nick was praying and praising God for something that had nothing to do with the circumstance he was in. And that circumstance drastically changed. A lot of times we think, okay, I just need to pray for this one topic. And if I keep praying for healing, healing's going to come. But that's not what Nick describes in this. He says that I lived a life of prayer. I was praising God for something else. And God answered prayers that I wasn't even talking talking about because that's how he works that when we invite the holy spirit into our circumstances he drastically changes everything about our life because we have nothing to lose at that point we're giving everything over to him so as we see james and what he talks about prayer it's like okay great this is awesome we're supposed to pray but what do we do with it now and it's like okay so am i going to just pray more what do i do and we easily get discouraged when we just start to pray more because there's no guidelines. It's like, what do I do? Do I just sit here? Do I sit here and be quiet? Do I just hope that things get better? If I just keep praying about this, it's going to change. But I think the takeaway from this has nothing to do with what you're saying in your prayers, and it has everything to do with your relationship about Jesus and living a life of praying without ceasing. See, a lot of times we think, if I'm just going to pray and continue to live my life, things are going to change. And I don't think that's what James is communicating. I know that's not what he's saying. He's not saying keep living the life 
that you're living and just make more time for God. He's saying surrender everything that you have to Christ and realize that when you do, things are going to drastically change. See, I believe that there's two reasons that we, why we have forgotten the importance of prayer. It's either number one, we've forgotten how sweet it is to be in the presence of Jesus, or number two, we've forgotten the power that comes with the name of Jesus. We've forgotten why we pray and what it actually does. And a lot of times we see prayer just as this thing that we run to when things aren't working or something that's just a last resort. But I truly believe that prayer is a language that we are supposed to speak as Christians. That prayer is a language that sets us free and it's not something that holds us captive to wondering if God's a good God. I think we begin to wonder, what is stopping in my life? What is stopping me from experiencing the prayer life that we are called to? Is there this idea that you live in the busyness of life that you don't have time to God? Is God asking you to surrender over your schedule and your time and trust that if I make time and room for God, if I change my priorities, that Christ is going to move? Because when we make Christ our priority in our schedule and our everyday life is the moment that we begin to see him change. Or for many of us, is it that we've forgotten the importance of prayer? That we've given up on the idea of prayer because it's something I can always do and I can start my prayer life another time. Or lastly, for many of us, is it because we don't see prayer as working? It's that we've given up on the idea of prayer because we just, we don't trust it. We don't trust that God's good enough to show up in our circumstances. Or we don't trust that if I just keep praying, it's going to work. So what I challenge you to do is continue to see who is God and what is stopping me from believing that the God we see that prays and comes when we pray is the God in my life. I just want to invite the worship team as we sit in this moment and think about that. See, I believe that as we see this and we talk about prayer, the thing that God wants to do is restore your prayer life. He's not just coming to condemn us and say what we've been doing in our life of prayer is wrong, but he's standing as that Abba, that Father that's saying, I just want you. I just want time with you, and time with you is what's going to change everything. And I believe that there's so much power in declaring the presence of God. And that there's power in declaring that we need Christ and standing in a posture of needing Christ. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.